let his love just embrace you and consume you today in a special way. So great to be here with all of you today, this beautiful Sunday morning, worshiping the Lord together. I'm not going to be very long this morning because I want us to have a very special time of ministry at the end of this service today. There's a story in the Old Testament that I love dearly. It's a beautiful type and shadow of the grace and the mercy of the Lord. And it, it's found in 2 Samuel. It's the story of David. David is king now. He is now king of Israel, and, and, um, and Saul has been defeated. Saul and his, and, and his armies are now defeated and, 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 and gone. Saul is dead now at this point. And, uh, and King David is now ruling. As you know, the, the, the rules of war would be that everything that belonged to the kingdom of Saul would now belong to the kingdom, David's kingdom. And even the personal land and possessions of Saul would now belong to uh, King David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning with verse 3, it says this, as in the king, speaking of David, he said, is there still, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, Ziba would have been one of Saul's servants when he was still alive, he said, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Emil in Debar." Then King David sent and brought, out, brought him out of the house of Makar from Debar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. I wish that you could with me today just get a mental picture of this incredible moment in the throne room of King David. Powerful man, this, this, this incredible moment that's happening between the most powerful man on the planet at this point and this, and this man who is, who is lame, this man who is crippled, this man who has been uh, living as a fugitive in exile, under the radar, off the grid, this, this incredible moment. And, and, and back it up just a little bit before, before what happens between David and Mephibosheth. And, and imagine, if you will, with me, David the king sitting on his throne, and one day he's just kind of pondering. One day in all of, his, all of, the, all of the glory of his, of his kingdom and all of the power that now he's, he has and the possession that he has, he's sitting and he's pondering and he's reflecting. He's thinking back on some things and he's remembering some things. And he remembers a covenant that was established between him and his very dearest friend, Jonathan. Jonathan, who happened to be the son of Saul. And, and he remembered this, this incredible relationship and this, this, this covenant that was established between the two of them, an agreement, if you will, that they would be together forever in one way or another, that he would be, he would be somehow beholding to Jonathan for the rest of his life uh, because of their friendship and because of the love that they had for one another. And so now David is pondering this and he's thinking about this and he's just sitting there in his, in his, on his throne and he's, he's thinking, what can I do? How in my... Who can I bless? 
What can I do to, to somehow in my heart anyway, to satisfy it in my heart, the, this great love that I have and this debt that I owe to my dear friend, Jonathan? So he asked the question, he says, is there anyone left? Is there anyone left of Saul's house? Is there anyone left of Jonathan's descendants that I can show kindness to? I think about some of our adopted parents. And through the years now, I've had the opportunity to, not only those that are a part of our church, but others that have had the opportunity to be, to be a part of their lives and, and, and somehow be a small part in their journey and, and searching for, for and finding the, the, their forever child, and that child to have their forever family. And, and, and that journey can be, as, as Julie kind of alluded to it just for a moment, that journey can be a joyful journey, but it can be a, it can be a treacherous journey too. And it is, it is one that is filled with peaks and deep, dark valleys. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, uh, assurance, but there's also a lot of uncertainty and question marks. And, and there, there's, there's this idea that I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And then all the things of earth and all the earthly things, uh, uh, the resources to provide, they all, none, none of those seems to add up sometimes. And, 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 I, and I see this, but yet there is this longing in their hearts. There is this emptiness inside of their hearts. And they're saying, they're out there. There's an if child is out there somewhere, I don't even know where they are, but there's an emptiness in our hearts, there's an emptiness in our home, there's a void that has not been filled yet, and they are out there somewhere. And, 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 and I think about David as he's sitting there and he's thinking, there's that one out there that I still, that God is compelling me, he's calling me to reach out and, and provide for and be, become a part of my family because of Jonathan. I, I have this, there's this searching inside of him and he's, now he's searching, saying, where are they? Where is my child? Where is the descendant of Jonathan? And I love, he calls in one of, one of Saul's servants, Ziba, and he says, and Ziba tells him, he says, there is still a son of Jonathan's. But, but it's interesting to me the way that Ziba does this. He puts a little disclaimer. He, he kind of, he kind of reads the fine print after the fact. He says, there is still one. Uh, he's in a place called Lodabar. His name is Mephibosheth, and he is a son of Jonathan's, but he's lame in his feet. It, it's almost as if, it's almost as if this servant of Saul was kind of telling, telling David, look, I, it, it, it is, do you really want something that you, someone that you're going to have to tend to and care for? Wouldn't you rather try to find someone who, who, who maybe could do more for you, who maybe could, could, could provide more and do more and, and, and be of care service here physically? Uh, do, do you really want to be tethered to someone that you've got to care for and tend for? He kind of thinks to me, Sometimes like some religious folks do, like the Pharisees did, you know, as long as there's no blemishes, as long as there's no disabilities, as long as, as long as you can do your part and you can, you can, you can provide and you can meet the mark, so to speak, then, then, then you're good enough. But, 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 but if you have any kind of issue in your life, we're going to kind of hang that over your head and, and we're going we're to hold that against you. And David immediately, he said, where is he? Where's he at? I, I, I don't care that he's. I don't care that he's got some, some some disabilities in his life. I don't care. All I care about is the fact that I established a covenant with his father Jonathan a long time ago, and I've got some kindness I want to give. There's an emptiness in my palace. There's an emptiness in my kingdom. I, I, I need to share what I have. This person is supposed to be a part of our lives. Where is he? And I think about those parents. 
I think about our adoptive parents who they begin they begin that search and they're crying out and they're saying, where is my child? They're out there somewhere. They may be in the crack house across town or they may be in an orphanage across the globe, but, but they're out there somewhere and there is that longing. It causes sleepless nights in their life because they wake up in the middle of the night realizing that there is, there is an empty place in their house. Supposed to be someone here that they are giving their heart and giving their life to. I love the story in Luke 15. We just sang a song about it. Jesus shares the parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 and going after the one lost sheep. And the song that we sing, it gives, it gives us this beautiful word picture of this story that Jesus is laying out before the Pharisees. And he's, he's telling them about the importance of, of how, the, how that the shepherd will leave the 99 in the wilderness, no doubt, to go after the one. To go after the one, he, because there's something in that shepherd's heart that says, I have a sheep and it's out there and it's wayward and it's, and it's, it's gone a direction it wasn't supposed to and it's lost and it's undone and he'll stop at nothing with his reckless love to go after that one sheep. Adoptive parents, I've watched them. I, I, I've watched them literally stand on street corners, stand on street corners with signs, begging for money, just stand on, stand on street corners. They lose all pride. They, they don't even care anymore. They'll, they, they, they'll stand on the street corner and, and they'll beg for donations. All they're saying is, and they, they don't care what it looks like, they don't care what it sounds like, all they're saying is, I've got to get to my baby. I, I, our child is waiting on us. And it's this, it's this desperation that rises up. And it's one that he, It seemed like I feel that in David's heart as he's sitting there that day searching for, for the one that he can show kindness to. It's what I see in the heart of that shepherd that Jesus was speaking of when he said he was so passionate to say, there is one that is missing. I've got to go after it. And so Ziba tells him where Mephibosheth is, the, the son of Jonathan. He says, it's in a place called Lodabar. A place called Lodabar. Lodabar literally means no pasture land. It means no word, no communication. It is a desolate place. It is a, it is a barren place. It's a place where crops won't grow. It is a dark and a lonely place. It, there's no life in Lodabar. It, it literally was no pasture, no green grass. It was, it was dead. It was, and, and of course, naturally, that's where Mephibosheth would have to be because, because he was living in exile. He was living as a fugitive. He couldn't be somewhere where he could thrive or, or where his life could flourish in any way. He couldn't live in that kind of place because he would be noticed. He would be recognized. And no doubt his life would be in danger because, because he was a fugitive. He, and no doubt he lived his life wondering, is today going to be the day? Is today the day that my number is pulled? Is today the day that I'm going to be identified? And so he lives as a fugitive, he, he, he's, he's knowing and realizing that any day now could close up and say day of reckoning. Any day now could be the day when, when, the, when the king's palace shows up and says, okay, buddy, it's your time. Uh, your, your, your father is gone. Your grandfather is gone. There's only a few of you Saul folks left, and, and, and it's your day today. No doubt he lived his life every day with that looking over his shoulder, wondering, is today the day? I watch some of these. I watch some of these investigative reporting shows. Any of y'all ever watch any of those? Uh, where they, and some of them are where they're, they're searching for these fugitives for all these years. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me how it seems like the longer that these fugitives are on the run, maybe they committed some crime, so in some cases decades before, and, and, and now they're, 
now they're living somewhere in the Bahamas or wherever else. They're trying to be off the grid. And eventually, one day, that U.S. Marshal shows up at their house. Or one day, the, the FBI comes and surrounds their house or whatever the case may be. And it's interesting how that a lot of those guys and gals who have been on the run for so long, it's interesting, they don't really run anymore. Once, they're not there to put up a fight anymore. It's almost as if they almost kind of have a little bit of a chuckle in their, in their voice a little bit. Well, my day finally came. And they just kind of hold their hands out and say, okay, I've, it's been a good run while it lasted. And, and, and so no doubt Mephibosheth was sort of at this place in his life. He knew that his day was eventually going to come, but he had, he had, he had lived under the He had lived off the grid. He, he just knew that one day this might happen, and then all of a sudden it did happen. All of a sudden, he's sitting here in Lodabar, this place of no pasture, this place where there's no life, this place where he's been living off the grid. And all of a sudden, there's an entourage that shows up from the king's house. And no doubt, he's thinking to himself, it's my day, it's my time. And without a fight, without running, without, without doing what he's been doing all these years, he just kind of surrendered and let them take him. And he comes into the throne room of David. And immediately he does what anyone would do. He falls on his face, prostrate before the king. And his words were, here is your servant. I'm your servant. I'm your slave. Because see, anyone who was Saul's descendants, anyone who was Saul's servants are now David's servants. So he knew what his place was to be. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew that now he had, a, he had a sentence to serve, if you will, for the rest of his life, if he even had a rest of his life. And so David says to him, he responds and he says to him, right off the bat, do not fear. Fear not. Now, imagine this moment with me, if you will. Imagine you're Mephibosheth. Imagine you're this one who's been on the run for the axe years. You're this one that you've been dreading. You've been dreading this day. This was the day that the, that the axe was going to fall. This is the day that it all ends for you. And now you're lying on your face before the king, knowing that, that it's, your, it's about to be your demise. And the king says to you, do not fear. He says, see, there was a covenant that was established a long time ago between me and your father, Jonathan. It was even before you, were, you came along and, and there, was this, uh, there was this covenant that was established there. And right after that, David begins to speak restoration into his life. And, and, and he begins to, you read, we read the story together. He, he tells him of how that he's going to give him and restore to him all that, his, all that his grandfather Saul had, all the lands of Saul. And you know what else, Mephibosheth? You're not even going to have to work it. I'm going to give you all the servants that Saul had too, and they're going to work the land for you. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to come to my house every day. That's what you're going to eat at my table every day. See, legally, all of it belonged to David, but a covenant had been established, and David was going to honor that covenant. Can I just remind every one of us in this room today, the story never gets old. It's never, it's never too, it's never, we never share the story 
too much. Landy was praying with our worship team this morning, and we began to celebrate, uh, the, and I love, we began to celebrate Calvary and what, what Jesus accomplished for us at Calvary. And I love what he said in his prayer this morning. He says, this is not just an Easter thing. This is not just an Easter celebration. This is an everyday celebration in our life. We celebrate who he is and what he has done in our lives. Can I just remind all of us today of what happened over 2,000 years ago when God established a covenant through his son with all of us it was it was it was a blood covenant and in that moment something was established something was done and every one of us were adopted into his kingdom it was almost as if it was almost as if god was crying out and saying where are my children where are they i want to bring them back i want them they have a rightful place in my kingdom i'll do whatever i have to do i'll go to the very end of the earth i will give my life so that i can adopt them back into their rightful place and where they belong. I love this, Romans 8, verse 14. It says, for as many as many as are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received, listen to this, the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are joint heirs of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We've all been adopted. We've all been adopted into his kingdom. We've all been adopted into his family. We didn't deserve it. We, we didn't do anything to merit it. I, 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 I hear people say things like this, like, I found God. I found God. I found God at an old-fashioned altar, whatever. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not discounting those moments that we had with God where we experienced him. But I'm going to tell you something. I didn't find God. He came to me. I was that orphan that was, that, was, that was in a desolate place called Lodabar. I was living in a place where there was no pasture land and no life. And guess what? The king came to me. He met me where I was and he adopted me into his family. And now I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. And you know what the best part about it is? As an adopted child, you can never be disinherited. Did you know that legally, legally, you can disinherit your biological children, but you cannot disinherit your, your, your adopted children? Guess what, Jason? That's bad news for you, but guess what? Ashton's going to get it all. You know it? <laughs> you better behave, boy. You're going to get all, or Ashton's going to get all of Jeffrey's money, okay? Inherited. Adopted children. So can I just tell you today? You can't be disinherited. I get so sick and tired of hearing this supposed gospel message that says that somehow you can do something to mess it up. Somehow you can, you can go so far that, that, that somehow the love of God is not, is not, is not, cannot reach to where you are. I'm going to tell you something. I've never gone any length that his love didn't reach so far to get me. I love, what, I love what David said in Psalm 23 when he said, goodness and mercy, it pursues me. It follows me all the days of my life. I've tried to escape the love of God. I've tried. I've done everything within my power to say I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. And in those moments, he comes and his reckless love love just takes me over. He leaves the 99 and he comes after me. He came to where I was and he comes to where you are today. And now we can cry out, 
Abba, Father. I, I, I love this because Abba, Father, it, it's, it's a word of intimacy. It, it, it's, it's how you and I today, we might refer to our earthly father as Daddy or Papa. Not the Father or... It, it's, that, it's that intimate relationship. He, now you can call out Abba, Father. Now you can say, Daddy. Let me tell you something. I'm four years old. And I still call George Bates daddy. Every time I say it, I feel like I'm seven years old, but I don't care. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it every single time I see him, every time I refer to him. Now, sometimes if I'm in a crowd of folks, I might refer in third person to my dad, kind of get that sort of West Coast sound about it. My dad, my dad, you know, but, but he's my daddy. He's my daddy because he was my daddy when I was three years old. He was my daddy when I was eight years old. And now I'm 44 years old with a bunch of gray hair and he's still my daddy. Because when I say those when I say that word, when I say daddy, it just kind of has that intimate feel about it. It's got that, uh, that secure and that safe place, that one you know you can run to. He's not just this figure in my life. He's not just this one who biologically uh, gave life to me somehow. He, he, he is that one that I can, that refuge here on earth that I can run to. He's my daddy. He's my daddy. And that's what, he, that's what the word tells us. You can cry. He's adopted you. He's ad Maybe you didn't have that earthly father figure. Maybe you didn't have that good example that I got to experience in my 44 years and still experiencing today. Maybe you didn't, but I want to tell you something. You've been adopted by a heavenly father whose love for us supersedes and goes far beyond even the greatest earthly father's love that you to us or know or experience. And he says, you know what? You can call me daddy. And he comes up to us today and he walks up to us and says it in 2019 vernacular. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He's our daddy. He's our daddy. We can run to him. He searched us for us. He found us. He pursued us. He came to where we were and he adopted us. And now we can call out to him, Abba, Father, my Papa, my Daddy. Jesus, when he was, when he was sharing this parable, of the lost sheep, he was actually speaking to a group of Pharisees because they were, they were questioning Jesus as to why he was spending time with sinners, why he was hanging out with the drunks, and, and he was at the club, so to speak. And that's when Jesus told them the story of the lost sheep. And he went on to tell them how that there is more joy in heaven, there is more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents who comes, to, who, who comes to the realization and the acknowledgement that God has come to rescue them than the 99 who didn't need repentance in the first place. Jesus was trying to tell the Pharisees that day, and it is his commission to us now today, that we are the ambassadors. You and I, I use the we are the instruments that he wants to use today. The church, a few weeks ago, I, I used the illustration and I spoke of how that the church, they speak, they speak of the church as the bride of Christ. And so I said just a few weeks ago, I said, the church, we are the spiritual mama on earth. 
We are here to be the, the, the mama or the, uh, 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 of the earth, that one that, that reaches out, that one that nurtures, that one that loves, that one that has arms wide open saying, you can never go too far, my brother. You can never go too far, my son, my daughter. You're never too far. You're never out of the reach of God's love. Unfortunately, it's a sad story that so many churches have literally locked their arms and says, until you can do this, until you can meet this, until you can match up to this, until you meet this mark, you're not worthy somehow. Heaven forbid that we, the church, ever be that one. We must be the instrument of the Lord. We must be the instruments of Abba, Father, that reaches out and says, come, who, whosoever will, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life. I don't care where you were on Saturday night. I just, want to, I just want you to be here with us today. I want you to experience Abba, Father. I want you to experience the love of God that has no end. In other words... In other words, when Jesus gave the last great commission, as he was giving this story, he was basically saying, tag, you're it. It's your time. It's your turn. And now it's time for you to be my hands. It's time for you to tag my feet. Let, let my Holy Spirit operate and work through you. Tag, you're it. I'm closing with this, believe it or not. For real. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Listen to this. And has given us. You know who us is? That's us. That's you and me. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed, there, again, there it is again, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And then he goes on to command us even further. He says, now therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who was no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's our job now. Tag, we are it. I, I, I love to give this morning forming messages that reminds us of God's love. I feel like we've, I hope that you've heard that this morning, but it can't just be that. We've got to be challenged as his church. We've got to be challenged as the spiritual mamas to go out and love a world that so desperately is needing it and is hungering for it today to remind them that you have a father. You have a father that loves you with a love that has no end whatsoever, and he wants you to be adopted. He wants to adopt you into his family forever, forever. We always give a little challenge on Hope for Life Sunday. You feel called or led to adoption or, or fostering a child. And you know, and only you and the Lord and your spouse probably know if that's what God is leading you to. Everybody's not called to adoption. Everybody's not called to foster. But if you've had that little tug in the back of your heart and it's, it kind of creeps its little head every now and then and you kind of push it aside I'm encouraging you to, to, today's the day to not push it aside, to just listen to that voice, let God speak to you, let God lead you, but maybe it's not to adopt maybe it's not to foster maybe that's not what God's calling you to 
But maybe he's calling you to mentor someone. Maybe he's calling you to take some time from your life to invest in the hearts and the lives of a child, maybe that's fatherless or without, without parents. Maybe to adopt a single mom into your male you now and, and, and help with them and help to provide for them and be a be a love. If you're a if you're a male, you and your you and your wife come and adopt that, that, that single mom and say, you know what, we want to we want to just be a part of your life and what can we do? How can we serve you? We want you we want you to have us on speed dial and, and whatever it is you need. Maybe just to love on children, to love or help or assist with other foster parents and those that are going through that challenge in their life and bringing children in. Sometimes teenagers who who's come with all kinds of baggage and, and, and you're just called to come and, and just serve and help them and be with them. Maybe it's something as simple as coming in every afternoon after work and reaching in your pocket and whatever loose change is there and putting it in a, in a cup and then once a year coming and pouring it in a bucket. It might be as simple as that. But every time you reach in your pocket, I would say it's more than just the 30 or 40 or 50 cents that you're pulling out in your hand. But every time you do that, would you just pray a prayer over it and say, God, I just believe you're going to multiply this. I just believe you're going to do great and mighty things. I believe there's going to be children that's going to be rescued and lives are going to be changed. There's going to be families and lives that are going to be, that are going to be adopted into your kingdom and realize and understand your great love for them just through this one little act. And so, God, I ask you to bless it and multiply it. Maybe it's buying a t-shirt, and every time you put that t-shirt on over the next year or so, you're reminded and you whisper that prayer one more time. God, you know it was just a few dollars, but God, I believe that you're going to order those few dollars and you're going to allow us to do more. There's things that we have going on right here in our community. There's a great organization and, and effort that just started not long ago. It's called CHOW, CHOW, C-H-O-W, uh, uh, Combating Hunger on Weekends, right here in our very own backyard. I mean, Winsboro, Louisiana, there are children who leave school on Friday afternoon. And from Friday afternoon when they leave school until they show back in school on Monday morning, do not have an ounce of food to eat. That's right here in our backyard. We've, we, we've, we've, we've been made aware of this great plight. And there's a great group of people. Carmen Sims is right at the helm of that. And Stacy Maroney and some others who have, who have stepped up to the plate. And I'm encouraging you, if you will, to be a part of that process. Go and help bag these things. And what they do is they secretly put these non-perishable items. They secretly go and put them in the backpacks of the kids that they know are in those situations. And when they go home, they have something to eat throughout that weekend. Many of them, I'm sure, no doubt at this point, they're hiding that over the weekend. And, and, and Because whatever the situation may be at home, who knows what they are? I, I'm not here to judge that. All I'm saying is it's a real need. Maybe we, could just, maybe we could just become more aware and be those hands and be those feet. Tag, you're it. My second and final closing is this moment that at the conclusion, at the conclusion of this really dramatic moment that happened between King David and Mephibosheth, after he's now restored back to him all of Saul's lands and servants and cattle and crops and all of that. There's this incredible moment that happens between the two of them. But I love the last thing that David says to him. Those last few words, that he, those last phrase that he says to Mephibosheth, he says this, he says, you'll eat at my table continually. I'm giving you all this stuff, giving you the houses, and I'm giving you the barns, and I'm giving you the, the fields, but, but for you personally, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at the king's table continually, every day. 
You're not going to have to cook your own meals. You're not going to have to have your, you're going to have the king's servants cooking your meals. You're going to sit at the king's table. You're going to sit at my table continually. So I get another word picture here. It's just, for years, I remember the first time I preached from this story, I was like 19 years old. And it was alive to me then, and it's more alive to me today. And I think about the echoing halls of the king's palace in the big, huge dining room. A few years ago, we got to go visit the Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina. And he's like, this house was built, I don't know, somewhere around the turn of the century, 18-something. I can't remember how many. It's like 30-something bedrooms. The dining room alone is seven stories tall. The dining room alone, it will seat 150 people at, ta- at a table. It's amazing. It's, it's, um, it's overwhelming. It had an indoor pool built in the late 1800s. It was the first place to have running water. It had electricity in the late 1800s. It was just amazing. But this dining room is just overwhelming. And I think about King David's dining room. I think about the big, massive corridors making its way there. And every evening at dinner time, at supper time, whenever all of David's family would gather together, his sons, his daughters, their their spouses, their children, the commanders of his armies, they would all come. His cabinet, all of those very important dignitaries and high ups, they would all make their way slowly and one by one into the, into the room and make their, find their place at the table. And I just kind of get this picture in my head that they're all set at the table, they're getting ready to be served the first course, the servants are all standing at the corner, at the corners of the room, holding their trays, ready to come and serve the dignities and the king. And then all of a sudden, they hear a noise down the hallway because there's these massive corridors and it's echoey through those halls. And they hear the sound of a Mephibosheth making his way to the dining hall. He's crippled in his feet. They hear him coming. They all stopped for just a minute and said, oh, wait a minute, we're missing somebody. Mephibosheth isn't here yet. So the king says, hold up, wait just a minute, we're not all here yet. And he waits, and they wait, and they listen as the sound gets closer and closer. And eventually and finally, Mephibosheth makes his way into the dining room. And he finds his place at the table, and he sits at the table of the king. You know what? Mephibosheth was lame in his feet. You know what I love about sitting at the king's table? What's the one thing you can't see? What's the one thing that's hidden? Was all of the disabilities. When he sat at the king's table, he was just like everybody else. He was as important as everybody else. He was a son of the king. This morning, I want to ask a question. For some, this may seem like an elementary question. And then for some, you've heard this question a million times before, but it's going to sound like you heard it for the very first time today. And for some in this room, maybe it is the very first time you ever heard it. Can I ask you this question? Have you ever, have you ever just accepted your rightful place at the table 
of the king. He has provided the place for you. He has restored all to you. It's yours for the taking. You are an heir of God and you are a joint heir with Christ. And my encouragement to you today is I want to ask you, if you've not, or you've forgotten, or you've just let life get in the way, that you will come with all of your stuff, with all of your baggage, with all of your history and yesterdays and your mistakes and failures, if you'll just come to your rightful place at the table, he's got a place prepared for you. His arms are open wide, and he's saying, come, whosoever will. Come, whosoever will. Come to your father. Come stand with to your papa today. My arms are open wide. Would you stand with me across this room? We're going to close in two ways today. I want to give an altar appeal in this service today. I don't know who this may be for in this room, but if it's speaking to you, I'm encouraging you to surrender and, and accept the invitation. We don't have these kind of moments a whole lot at Life Church, but we're having one today. Because I just believe, I believe there are some of us here today, when we walked in here today, we felt like somehow we were unworthy. We walked in here today and we felt like somehow that, that we've gone too far or, 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 or we've messed up too much or, 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 or life has just gotten so so crowded in our lives. Our lives have become so crowded that we can't even see or understand or know the great love that God has for us. And we've been reminded today. We've been reminded through the songs that's been sang. We've been reminded through the scriptures that were read today. And today, when you walked in that other way, you're going to walk out understanding and knowing who you are and taking your rightful place at the king's table. So as we sing this morning, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to come. And as you come to the front of this church today, I'm encouraging you to do it with, do it with pride, do it with joy, do it with, do it with excitement in your heart, knowing that my Father, my Father is waiting for me. He's ever open wide. He wants to transform our lives. He wants to heal. He wants to restore everything that the enemy has tried to steal from your life. He will restore it back, and he'll do it many times over. Father, today, in the name of Jesus, we pray today, God, that you will begin to soften our hearts, open our hearts, God, to see your magnificent, incredible, reckless love that you have for us, God that you left the 99 to come to where we were. Lord, that your grace and your mercy, your mercy and your goodness, it pursues us, it follows us all the days of our lives. Today, God, we stop and we surrender. And God, we take our rightful place at your table, at the king's table today. God, have your way in every life, God. We want to celebrate today, God, your goodness and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As they sing, I invite you to come. Don't be dismissed yet because we're going to do our change off in a moment. Let's, let's come today. If that's, you, if that's you, I invite you to come. We want to pray with you today. We want to believe God with you today. Accept your rightful place at his table today.
how we're dismissing the service today. If you've come today prepared with your Hope for Life change uh, offering, I'm going to ask you, if you will, just to kind of make your way through the front of the church today before you leave. If the worship team will continue to sing for us today, I want us to do this in a very worshipful way today. And maybe as you come by or as you're making your way to the front of the church today, if you could begin to pray that prayer that we talked about earlier. God, I pray that you multiply this. Multiply these pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters many times over to touch the lives of people around the world. Would you, t- would you high-five somebody and say, Tag, you're it. Tag, you're it. Tag, you're it. God bless you. Go in peace today in Jesus' name. Ocean, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming out.